How y'all doing this morning? I'm not, so there. I was back there with a lady. I, I've been sick the last couple days. I'm on, I'm on the upswing, so I'm going to make it, but I was coughing up some nasty stuff, and she peeps her head out like, what on earth are you doing? I've been really congested lately, so I put her in charge of praying for me that my voice will hold out this morning. That I don't sound like Porky Pig the whole sermon with my nose all crammed up and my head in a vice and junk oozing out of my ears. Okay, turn to the Gospel of John if you have your Bibles. And if you don't, you can just open your bulletins and you'll have the Gospel of John there. We're starting a new series here, as was mentioned, on uh, Rolling Stones. Paul thought of that title. I never would have... Stoop so low as to associate the Word of God with some carnal rock stars. But, uh, especially not one like Mick Jagger. You could have got a good band or something. But, uh, the theme here is that we're going to be talking about experiencing resurrection power and rolling away the stones that keep us entombed in our life. Speaking of resurrection, as Steve mentioned, I'll just mention it again. I, I, if you can make it out, I'd really appreciate it. It's at the, to this debate that I'm doing. Uh, the, uh, Don Barker is the president of Americans for the Freedom from Religion, and he's also the president of the uh, National uh, Society for Atheists and Unbelievers uh, that uh, policy belongs to. Uh, and so we're, that was a joke, <laughs> Society for Atheists and Unbelievers. Uh, but uh, anyways, he's, their, he's their, their full-time staff spokesperson who goes around and debates everybody, and and uh, they just got me at the last minute because I've done it the last two times that the, they've offered a challenge. And InterVarsity didn't want to give the impression that there's a, I'm the only one who will do this. But I am. <laughs> it's not courage or anything. It's just not having enough smarts to know when to back down. So I may be getting my rear end kicked here. But uh, it's a good opportunity to spread the gospel. So that's what I'm hoping to do. Amen. I just ignore the, you know, on these debates, you never win them or lose them or anything, so you just ignore the other person and just give the evidence for Christ and, and, and get the stuff out there in the marketplace. It's like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Two years ago, we did this with Dr. Erickson, who's a professor at the University of Minnesota, and, and uh, out of 600 people that attended there, uh, we had 47 signed cards that said they wanted a, a, a follow-up and learn more about Christ and stuff. So it works, you know, we'll go with it. Okay, John chapter 11. I'll start with verse 38. We're dealing with a tomb experience here. A tomb experience, an experience of rolling away the stone. This is with Jesus and Lazarus. It says, then Jesus deeply moved again. This is the third time in this narrative where he, he, it says that he was deeply moved. He came to the tomb. And it was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a strong odor. The Greek could actually be translated repulsive stench, obnoxious smell, stink. You get the impression. <laughs> for he, was, he has been dead for four days. You know, this is Palestine. It gets hot in Palestine. He's been dead for four days. They don't embalm in those days. He smells. Take away that stone, you're going to get a whiff. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you because you've heard me. I know you always hear me, but I have said this on account of the people standing by, that they may know that you've sent me. 
And when he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with bandages, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, to them, his friends, Unbind him and let him go. Let's pray. Lord, make your word come alive this morning. I pray, God, that you would touch my voice, that it wouldn't be too raspy, that at least it could be clear enough to hear, Lord. Uh, you don't need a strong voice, God, to have a strong message, Lord. What we need is your spirit. So, Lord, infuse this with your spirit, Lord, even if I'm reduced to a whisper, Lord God. Uh, cause a thunder in our life, Lord God, by the word of God, which is anointed by you. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke, Lord. And there are some here this morning, God, who, who are in a yoke. They're in bondage. They're entombed. And I pray, God, that you'd use this, this, this message, Lord God, in this section of scripture, Lord God, to bring us out of the tomb. Begin to set us free to walk in your resurrection power. In your name we pray. Amen. This is kind of a messy situation here. That, that uh, the scenario that's painted in John chapter 11. There's a lot of sticky things about it. Not least of which is that Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, the friend of Jesus, has died. But there's other things that are, are, are kind of messy. If you look at the beginning of this chapter... Um, they tell Jesus that Lazarus is dying, that he's ill, that he's close to death. But it says here in verse 5 and verse 6, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, he wasn't with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. But because he loved them, he didn't go to heal Lazarus. I don't think I'm the only one in this congregation here this morning that is kind of left wondering, what are you saying? It sounds like a mixed message, doesn't it? Because I love you, I'm not going to heal you. Because I love you, I'm not going to come down there and help you. Do you ever feel like you're getting mixed messages from God sometimes? He says he loves you. He says he'll always be with you. And yet, for just that reason, he seems to be staying away. Mary and Martha and all the friends of Lazarus at this point have got to be kind of scratching their heads saying, what gives here? Here's this guy walking around Palestine, Judea, Samaria, all these places, healing people left and right. One of his best friends, Lazarus, and the two people that he loves, Mary and Martha, are going through a hard time in their life. Lazarus is, is near death. And because I love you, I'm going to stay two days away. Something he'd never do to people who weren't as close to him. What gives here? Not only that, but it says in verse 4, Jesus says this, when he hears that Lazarus is sick, it says, when Jesus heard this, he said, this illness is not unto death. This illness is not unto death. And any normal person thinking with an ordinary mind would say, well, then Lazarus isn't going to die, so I guess it's not as bad as we thought. And then Lazarus dies. So you either have a Savior that looks incompetent because he doesn't know what's going on, or you have a Savior that knows what's going on, but he breaks his promise. Do you ever feel like God breaks a promise? Like he says, I'll always be with you, and he doesn't feel like he's with you? It's messy. It's a messy thing. People are trying to enter into Mary and Martha's situation here. It's not unto death, Lazarus dies. Because I love you, I'm not going to come and heal you. Heal Lazarus. Jesus finally shows up. Think of the shock, the pain that they must be in when Lazarus dies. Four days he's been dead. In fact, he was dead by the time Jesus got the message. Four days he's been dead, the, the funeral's over with, the ceremony's gone, and now he's in the tomb, and Jesus finally shows up. And they're just devastated. 
Mary goes and falls at the feet of Jesus in despair and said, Lord, if you had been here, if you'd been here like you were there for all those other people in Palestine, if you'd been here for Lazarus, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And Mary, in her state of despair, takes it like it's kind of cheap cliche. And So she says in, 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 in the verse here, oh yeah, I know that everyone will be raised on the last day. I know that. Thanks for the reassurance. Nice little kudo. Pat on the bat. Oh, someday by and by he's going to be okay. But why weren't you here now? You're there for other people. Why weren't you here now for him? Martha comes and does the same thing. Falls at his feet and says, if you had been here, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. There's a lot of pain here. In fact, the, the Bible says that Jesus wept. I think just because he feels the intensity of the pain. Jesus weeps. It's a messy situation. A lot of theological questions here. A lot of pain. A lot of confusion. And finally, it says Jesus says, said, said to them, roll away the stone. Roll away the stone. And here's Martha. Martha is so precious. She's so ordinary. And I'm so glad she's in the Bible. Martha always likes things clean. And she likes things neat. Her gift is hospitality. Uh, it, when Jesus came over in the previous chapter, she was the one that was running around with her, you know, like a chicken with its head cut off trying to clean the house. The Savior's coming, the Savior's coming, and you can't have the messy dishes and the dirty diapers and the undusted table and all that stuff. When the Savior comes over, King of the Universe, this is kind of important. So <laughs> she's going nuts trying to do the dishes, trying to clean everything, while Mary just sits and is okay with the mess and, and just sort of ministers to Jesus and Jesus ministers to her. So Martha gets ticked off and says, Lord, will you tell my sister to help out with the dishes? This is Mary. She just is like that. So Mary here, Jesus says, okay, roll away the stone. Mary runs up and says, Lord, he's been dead for four days. And we haven't invented embalming yet. And it's been hot. I added that little part in the Bible there. Uh, and Lord, if when you roll away that stone, you're going to get a stench. There's going to be a strong odor. He stinks. You know, and here, here's, she probably did all the work to put on the funeral, right? And the people are still around there, and she doesn't want this whiff of air. And she's right. Have you ever been around an animal that's rotting? It, or a person? Uh, it's terrible. It is the worst smell you can imagine. I, I used to work in a pool company. Uh, when I was going to the graduate school, and we'd clean pools. And, and one day I, I went to this one pool and pulled off this lid to this filter. It, it used to, it was a filter thing. I was the expert on pools. <clears throat> and there's a rabbit that got caught in there. It had been there about two or three days. And I pulled off this lid, and it was like, oh, man. I found myself the nearest bush. Okay, then. Yeah, yeah. It was terrible. It's putrid. You've smelled it before. There's nothing worse. Here's a human being who's been dead for four days. And it's, this is bad stuff. But Jesus doesn't listen to Mary. He says, well, roll away this stone. And he calls Lazarus forth, and Lazarus came forth. And in all probability, it stunk to high heaven. And that's the point I want to bring out this morning. If you want to come out of the tomb, if we're going to talk about rolling away stones, you've got to be prepared to deal with some smell. Let me come clean with you here on something. I'm coming, it's getting a little better now, but, but I'm coming off the tail end of a real tomb experience. A tomb experience is one where you go through where it feels dark. Uh, if you feel separated from, from life. You feel wrapped up, caught up, 
stoned in. And it's dark. You feel forsaken. A real tomb experience, it stinks. Going through a tomb experience. Shelly and I have had to deal with some pretty heavy stuff uh, with uh, one of our children. And that's been a real tough thing to deal with. And uh, it feels like a tomb experience. I've had to observe several things in my life this last couple weeks that I thought that weren't there anymore. And realizing that for all my talk about uh, being open and honest, I had stuffed some stuff. And I didn't even know I'd stuffed it. It's hard to, to look at that in an honest way. You think you got over that, and there it is again. I'm feeling like there's spiritual warfare all around, but you feel too tired to fight. You ever feel like that? It's like, you know, I feel like a noodle in a boxing ring with uh, Ken Norton, you know? You're just kind of deflated. We, we as a, there's been a number of people in the church here that, several people that have just been going through some very, very deep stuff, some tough, tough stuff. And, and, and it's not easy stuff. And that's there. The, the, the leadership of this church, we've been hammering out some, some things here the last couple of weeks. With good results, but it's been heavy stuff. The timing is what really stinks there. I could, I could you know, can't we do it the next week or the week after? But we're, we're, we're coming to grips with what it means to be a team-led church and, and, and what it means to be a, a, among the leadership here, what it means to be a community that speaks the truth in love. And, and, and that's not an easy thing. God's doing a new thing here. But new things mean that you've got to get rid of old things. And that's hard. So we're dealing with that. And the worst, thing of the, 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 worst, the worst bit of the whole piece is that I've never felt spiritually flatter, I don't think, in my life. At least I, I can't remember the last time I felt so spiritually deflated. And it just happened. I feel like a mosquito that just ran into a, the windshield of a semi. <laughs> and it just... It's just spiritually flat, you know, and I'm not talking about the kind of thing where you're, 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 you're hungry for God and desiring God, but you just can't seem to find Him, you know, you go through that all the time. But I'm talking about a different, a deeper level of spiritual deflation where you don't even feel like trying to find Him anymore, you know, where you just feel like, like you don't even have the hunger for the Word anymore, and you, just, you just feel like just going through in a carnal mode, you don't feel like doing anything, and if you do anything, it's out of duty, and there's no life in it. And you begin to ask, you know, God, where are you? Do I, do I, do you ever feel like this? Like, do I, am I always the one who has to work hard to find you? Why don't you just kind of come down here and prove yourself to me when I'm in this dry, carnal state? And he's not there. It's a tomb experience. And it's not very pleasant. Here's the thing. Here's why I shared all that. Part of it is because I think what the pulpit's about is sharing honest stuff. There's a lot of places, a lot of religious environments, a lot of churches that wouldn't be very comfortable with what I just said. I've been talked to by head deacons when I guest speak at places for saying a whole lot less than what I just said. One time, I, I, I forget what I just said, but I, I, I said something about like I had trouble sleeping last night, pray for me, or something like that. And, and this head deacon or senior officer, whatever his official title was, came up afterwards and he says, you know, reverend, and that gets me nervous, you really shouldn't share that kind of stuff before you, before you speak. You see, people get nervous. When you, when you tell them that you're a little bit off today, they get a little nervous that you might screw up your speech. And what is this? Some Shakespeare sonnet that I'm doing? You know, uh, Hither Thou Art, some play at the Orpheum Theater? If I was doing some kind of play or some skit or some kind of performance, I could see why people would get nervous about saying something that's real. But I don't think that's what I'm supposed to be doing, is it? Some sonnet. And I kind of told them that, too. 
He says, well, you know also that, that people, you should tell your struggles on the victorious side, not on the downside. Because people need to hear a positive word. They've got enough struggles of their own. They look up to you to get some life and a little value and let it out. Da, da, da. And you, you're what they aspire towards, so don't bring them down by sharing some of your own struggles like you couldn't sleep last night. And there's a widespread kind of a feeling, a sentiment in, in some religious circles that Christians are supposed to be, and certainly pastors, reverends, religious guild professionals are supposed to be, always on the up, always on the smile, always feeling good, always having it together, always on fire for God, praying morning, noon, and night, questing after God, going through struggles valiantly, engaged in spiritual warfare, cutting off the devil's head, never having a problem. <laughs> Glory to be. And if that's not the case, then good Lord, we pay you for something, don't we? Be a little professional about stuff. People want church to go smooth, nice, polished, slick, upbeat, happy, together. Everything's supposed to be okay. And it's your job to make sure that that happens. It's a Jay Leno kind of a show. You know, Jay Leno, he's a professional. He got out of one of his kids just committed suicide, just went through a divorce and lost his dog. And he's still going to get up there and tell the same jokes he's always told, you know, without missing a beat because he's a professional. He doesn't bring in all of his personal stuff to the, the, the Sunday night or the, whatever his show is. What's it called? The Tonight Show or whatever. I. I don't watch them, obviously, but, but that's professional. The show must go on. People want, you don't have him bringing in his garbage on, on his Tonight Show. People, the bottom line is the ratings, you know, and if you want your church to grow, you want people to be happy, you've got to give them something that they came for. They came to be happy. They came to be stroked. They came to get some hope in life. They don't want to hear you dump or disclose or air out all your problems. The ratings are what count. And if you get anything out of what I want to say this morning, it's this. That that mentality there, that Jay Leno kind of showbiz, nice, polished, smooth running, always together kind of thing is, as far as I'm concerned, I, I, how do I say it? Find me the words here. A 40-foot deep crock of male cow dung. There. <laughs> that. <laughs> See, I can be religious. You got to cut me some slack. I'm in kind of a cynical mood these days. <laughs> When you buy into that kind of a showbiz, Jay Leno sort of Christianity, what you get is a nice showbiz kind of a church where everything does look good, everything's smooth, everything's nice, everything's wonderful. People get their ears massaged, they get a little warm fuzzy, they go away feeling good, and maybe it grows, and maybe it's a nice little thing here, but it's got nothing but nothing to do with reality. It's got nothing to do with what Christianity is really about. It's got nothing to do with transformation. That Jay Leno kind of thinking, that Jay Leno showbiz Christianity, what it does is it produces Christians... Who are good at showbiz Christianity? If that's what you model, that's what you get. So you get a lot of Christians who, like Jay Leno, are, are professional actors. They know how to smile right, they know how to walk right, they know how to talk right, they know how to answer right, and they know how to look fine and nice, nice and clean and holy and sanctified and redeemed and what have you. But there's no reality in it. There's no reality in it. That's why so many religious environments have this sort of shallow, two-inch thick veneer sort of feel to it. There, there's, it's like, oh, just on the surface and it's kind of like you're asked, where's the reality? Where's the beef? Where, where does this thing get real? Because the Jay Leno Hollywood kind of thing, as fine as that is in an entertainment world, when that becomes your Christianity, it's got nothing to say to somebody who's going through a tomb experience. And we all go through tomb experiences. Amen. It's got nothing to say to people when, when, when they are experiencing the stench of decay in their life. 
When they are experiencing the stench of a decaying marriage or the stench of a decaying relationship with their kids, or when they are experiencing or have been experiencing maybe for years the stench of, of past wounds in their life or the stench of moral failings in their life, showbiz Christianity has got nothing to say to that. But that's where reality is, and reality sometimes stinks. Showbiz, Jay Leno kind of Christianity has got nothing to say to the lady who wants nothing more in life than to be a mother, and she just had her second miscarriage, and the doctor says she's probably never going to be able to have a kid. If, it's gonna, if, if Christianity is about reality, and if we're going to talk about resurrection power, we cannot worry about being odor-free. See, the truth is, is that we, we have been given. If you're a believer here this morning and, and, and you've taken Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and made him Lord over your life, what is true about you, whatever else you may be experiencing, what is true is that you have resurrection power within you. The Bible says that he's, his Holy Spirit resides within us. The power of God Almighty resides within you. The one who says, I am the resurrection and the life resides within you. And you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. You've passed from darkness into light. All of that is true. It's true. But it's also true that like Paul, we carry around a body of death. Paul says that. It's also true that we are in certain areas of our life entombed. It's also true that to some degree we experience decay in our life. Lazarus was resurrected, but it doesn't negate the fact that he'd been dead for four days and therefore smelled. And if he was going to come out of the tomb, he had to come out with the smell. You have resurrection power in your life, new life within you, the Holy Spirit within you. But that doesn't change the fact that you might still have the smell of past moral failings or present moral failings in your life, or the smell of wounds that were done to you, the smell of scars on your heart, the smell of problems in your life. And if you're worried about an odor-free Christianity, you'll never have the freedom to come out of the tomb and begin to walk in resurrection power in relationship to those things. Think for a moment what would have happened if if, if Jesus had listened to, to, to Martha, you know, Jesus is going to smell. And, and these are all my friends and stuff. It's kind of embarrassing. You know, who likes to have anyone come over to, and we're like that. You know, we got some cats, and cats sometimes have bad timing. You got some people coming over, and boom, they decide to do one of their bombs in there. So you got to run around with the, the Lysol spray and stuff. You know, it's embarrassing. You know, it's like, Jesus, if you open that tomb, man, all my friends are going to go, whoa, Lazarus really isn't doing very well. But if Jesus had listened to Lazarus, think for a second here. Lazarus would have got resurrection power because Jesus is the resurrection of the life. Lazarus gets the resurrection power. But he would have been entombed. He would have woke up, you know, and like, what the heck's going on here? I thought I was dead, you know. And he'd be all wrapped up and it'd be dark and, and he'd, he'd be pounding on the, the stone, I imagine, say, let me out of here. Martha would say, no, you smell. <laughs> exactly what a lot of Christians are at when they're in an environment that's kind of a Martha environment. An environment that says we don't want the odor, we don't want the past, we don't want the scars, we don't want the wounds, we don't want the dysfunction, we don't want the, the, the ugly stuff. And so you, here you are, you're resurrected, but you still have four days worth or four years worth or maybe 40 years worth of stench in your life, the ugly stuff in your life, the stuff that no one wants to see, and you can't get out of the tomb because no one wants to see that or smell it or hear it. We're entrapped. That's what happens when a Martha mentality takes over. Or sometimes, well, sometimes, sometimes the odor does get out. In a Martha environment, someone says something real, like, 
you guys, I'm a sexual addict. Or, you guys, I, my wife and I are getting a divorce. Or, people, I've got an alcohol problem. Or what have you. A little, a little seep comes out, asking for need, asking for help. And what happens in some environments is that once that gets out, it's like people, Christians pull out their, 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 their air fresheners. <laughs> Change the analogy here a little bit. Air fresheners. Because they want it to smell good. So, so we try to, 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 to spray it really good. Make sure it's, we, we want things rosy and smelling nice and the scent's got to be okay. So you want to cover up that odorous, decaying stuff. So you quickly you know, try to camouflage it. Here, here, here's an example of an air freshener kind of thing. Uh, and this is just my mood again. So if you've got this bumper sticker on your car, you know, ignore what I'm going to say here. It's just the mood I was in. But it's one of these bumper stickers that you know, it says, whatever your question, the answer is Jesus. And on a, a different day, and if it wasn't for the last three weeks, I would have said, oh, isn't that quaint, you know? But it, uh, with the mood I was in, it's kind of like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, world, Christians never get beyond uh, preschool, Sunday school class. Where well, the answer is always Jesus. You know, you go to Sunday school class, and, and what you want kids to know, there's the answer is Jesus. Who created the world? Jesus. Who made your toes? Jesus. Who made your eyes? Jesus. Who loves you? Jesus. <laughs> Every kid, you just want them to talk, say something. Jesus. <laughs> Whatever the question, the answer is Jesus. But when you're going through a tomb experience, somehow that just doesn't fit right. You know, who, who, who makes deformed babies? Jesus. Who, who uh, makes earthquakes? Jesus. Why are, why are my mom and dad getting a divorce? Jesus. I mean, things are just a little bit more complex than that. But you could use that kind of a cliche to sort of spray over the problems there. Oh, Jesus will make it better. Everything's going to be fine. There's a reason for everything. All things work together for the better. You've got to rejoice in all things. Give thanks in all things. Come on now. Cheer up. Pull up your bootstraps. There's a, there, there's a rainbow after every storm. A rose after every thorn. I don't know how that one goes. Huh? Shh, just try to spray the air. Well, what we do is suffocate people who, have, who need airing out the tomb. The bottom line here is this. If we're going to talk honestly and we're going to talk realistically about resurrection power, it's not going to be all of this, you know, up with humanity, up with Jesus, everything's fine, everything's rosy kind of a stuff. What a Martha mentality wants is the resurrection without the order of the past death. But if you want the resurrection, you've got to deal with the order of the past death and even some present death experiences. The two go hand in hand. So if we're going to talk about, genuinely talk about in a realistic way, how to experience resurrection power in, in terms of overcoming the tomb of the fear that you've been in, we're going to have to be willing to deal with the odor that that fear has caused in your life. And if you're going to talk about coming out of the tomb of the addiction that you've been in, we're going to have to be okay with dealing with the odor that that addiction may be caused in your life and may be caused in your family. And if you're going to come out of the, the tomb of the shame that you've been in, we're going to have to be okay talking about the odor, dealing with the odor that that shame has produced in your life. The only way to come out of the tomb is to take the odor with you. And we cannot be concerned with having an odor-free church. Not if we're talking about real resurrection. Lazarus was resurrected. But that doesn't change the fact that he'd been dead for four days and Martha was right. There's going to be a strong odor there. But he had friends that were willing to push back the stone and hit, get that order there, 
and, and get close enough to him and wrap off his bandages and set him free. And so it is with us. So it is with us. The Bible says that we are, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, we are to put aside all falsehood and speak the truth to one another in love. The word truth in Greek, I've said it before, and I'll be sure to say it again, because I think it's so vital. It, it comes from combina the combination of two words, a, it's aletheia. It's a, which means not, and lanthanos, which means to conceal. Speaking the truth means you speak unconcealed. You don't keep the tombstone there. You don't live in the privacy of your own private stench. You roll back the stone. We take off the mask. We come out of the closet and we speak truth to one another. And Paul says it's when we speak truth to one another, when we begin to air out the tomb, that we begin to grow. We grow up into him who is the head, Jesus Christ. There is, that's the deal. There's no other way around it. You want resurrection power, you got to come clean. You got to air out. You got to vent. Where do we do that? Well, this brings us back to what we've been talking about the last eight weeks. The body of Christ was never meant to be just a Sunday morning event. You can't do it on Sunday morning. Even here, it's not appropriate for me to go into all the details of what I've been going through. We need each other in small groups, people who we trust, people who are going to be there, people to roll back the stones, help us roll back the stones, people to unwrap the bandages there. We need people who aren't going to run away when they whiff some of what we're really about, but people who are, who are willing to be committed to us. And it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time to develop that kind of trust. You can't force a, people to, a person to, to, to begin to just do that when they're used to, maybe even habitually addicted to concealing stuff in their life. It takes time. But that's why we need small groups. And I encourage you to, to really be thinking about this. Small groups where you can begin to be honest with people. I thank God that in this last three weeks I've had some close friends, a close small group, where I could be real. I could just be, you know, you know what, guys, I'm not on top of the world right now. In fact, I'm kind of at the bottom. I could, I could speak truth. Just speaking truth is healing. It's healing. Just to see that people don't run away when you do it, that is healing. People who are going to be there. I, at one point in a mystery team meeting, I, I just shared with the people there that, that uh, um, I was going through a real low time and, and that I was feeling spiritually deflated. I just was out loud about what was going on. And they, some prayed for me. Gail, Gail, who works up in the, uh, with the um, Kool-Aid and Donuts, uh, uh, prayed for me. And as she prayed for me, it was just a real tender prayer. Uh, for the first time in a, a couple of weeks, I, I actually felt something from God. I, I got a picture of myself as she was praying, and this was so healing for me. I'd been kind of blaming myself and feeling lousy and beating myself up because I was in this deflated state, which isn't really going to help you get undeflated, is it? You just kind of get lower. We get in that kind of rut where we just... I'm feeling bad, and I'm bad for feeling bad, and I'm really bad for feeling bad that I'm feeling bad, and you just kind of get worse and worse. You know, boy, I'm much more miserable than I even thought I was. <laughs> but she says, she prayed this prayer that kind of helped me out of that, and as she was praying, I just got a picture of myself or, uh, sitting on the lap of Jesus. And, uh, and I didn't think I was on the lap of Jesus at this point in my life. Um, and I got a picture of, of this little boy, me, who was all distracted and all mad and all ornery, just, just, you couldn't, you know, and kind of pushing him away and, and just, you know, how little kids are, I, you know, get away from me, I don't like you and I want to get down and, and, and nothing's right. And that's how it was. And Jesus was just holding me by the waist, just kind of bounced me on the knee, waiting until I settled down. <laughs> and that was so ministering to me because he wasn't mad about that. It's not where I should be. 
especially a man of God. It's not where I should be, but it's okay that I'm there. And, and, I, you know, and, and even when I don't feel like I'm on his lap, I'm on his lap. The point of the message I got out of that, and this is just the value of being in friendship and having people pray with you, is that I realized I wasn't strong enough to push him away. And you're not strong enough to push him away either. And that even if you don't feel like you're on his lap, you're still on his lap. You maybe are as distracted as all get out, and right now you're going through a tomb experience, but you're still on his lap. I encourage you to do two things. Number one, begin by being honest and open with God about, about the stench in your life. Practice honesty with Jesus Christ. You've got nothing to lose. You're saved by grace. You can risk this. Going from there, begin to develop people around you. Maybe call Steve and get in a, vol in, in a small group. Uh, you can start at a low vulnerability thing. Maybe you're not used to this, but, but look out a small group. Begin to hook in there and develop friendships where you can begin to be honest because that's what's going to heal you. That's what's going to change you. That's what's going to help you get out of the tomb. This morning, as we close, I want you to know that there'll be people up here who are willing to pray with you. Maybe this morning, right now, you need to kind of air out a tomb. Maybe you need to vent. Maybe you just want somebody there to, to pray with you because you're too weak and tired to pray. That's why we're here for each other. That's what the body's all about. We hold each other up. We stand stronger together than we stand alone. Let's close in prayer. Can you stand? Lord, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because you are the Lord. Whether we see you or not, you're the Lord. Whether we feel you or not, you are the Lord. Whether our minds are serene or very disturbed, you are the Lord. And you are that distant lighthouse beam that stays steadfast when the storm is overthrowing our ship. You're the rock that we can stand on though all the world around us quakes. You're the friend, as you say in your word, that sticks closer than a brother, even, Lord, when we feel friendless. And I thank you for that, God. You're the one, Lord, who calls us to come out, to rise up, and to walk in the resurrection Holy Spirit power that you've given to us. I pray, Lord God, that we could, beginning now and continuing on the next several weeks, Lord God, get permission come out of the tombs with all the stuff that are with us. To begin to speak truth and be honest and say things out loud to you and to each other. And in doing this, bind us together as the body of believers that you've called us to be. In your name we pray. Amen.